You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, we're all on the show. Welcome to your last week without Oregon football for the next three, maybe four. Four months. We'll see. Um, there is college football this weekend, though. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. USC plays mm-hmm. this weekend. Um, Notre Dame plays this weekend. Florida plays, mm-hmm. or they don't play this week. They play next week. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got college football starting this week. Um, all Saturday we'll have games, and then uh, next week the Ducks are here. So we're we're in the the final week of. Kind of that, is it fall camp? Is it not fall camp anymore mode for the Ducks? Um, we'll speak with the coordinators, also Dan Lanning, a few select players. And then just, I guess, if you go to DuckTerritory.com for your Duck news, which I hope you do, uh, you want to remember that on Thursday the 24th through the 27th um, of August, there's no media availability. There's no access to practice. That's like, they're shifting into game mode and we're not going to be able to see any of it or hear about it for a four or five days. So we do have some things planned for content on duckterritory.com, And I highly encourage you guys to go and check that out. Yeah. That's going to be kind of an, I was just going to say, it's going to be kind of like an extended preview period for us. Yeah. Yes. Um, But as for that, let's dive into this mailbag because we haven't done one in a while. And I'm pretty sure I looked at the questions that you had available to you, Eric. We had a lot of responses on this one. Yeah, I was trying to think. It's been – was it right before fall camp that we did the last mailbag? I can't even remember. Yeah, um, I think so. so. We'll, yeah. We're going to get back into the flow of doing these on a regular every Monday. We're going to f- kind of fall in line here um, in a couple well, – in about a week, we're going to fall in line to a very uh, regular schedule for podcasts. We've got it planned out. You'll expect to see – I think four shows per week plus a game recap, Matt. Is that right? Yes. So expect to see a little bit more consistency on this feed, which I'm sure you guys will appreciate. That also means the season is here, which I know you guys will love even more. Um, but today we are starting with a mailbag um, because, again, we haven't done these in a while. I was curious to see kind of where everybody's heads were at. Um, we've got five questions, and we'll start with one from, I believe, a new question asker from at GoDucks5 underscore Mick who asks, what position is strongest on offense and defense? And is the team better as a whole on defense or offense? Um, I'm going to answer the first part first, and then maybe you guys can answer yours. And then I guess we'll just probably come to a pretty, I would imagine, consensus on that second question. But um, strongest position on each side of the ball. Uh, Offense, I I think the clear most valuable and probably just the best player is Bo Nix. Yes. So like that's probably the right answer, but I think in terms of just the strongest overall unit, I would say running back in terms of just proven mm-hmm. depth and playable depth. And there's three guys that you feel really good about, two guys there that you feel really, really good about. Um, I do think the Bucky Irving, no Whittington pairing could be one of the better in the country, certainly one of the best out West. Um, I don't know if there's really a huge amount of competition or I don't know if there's even that much pushback to that statement. Um, I just think the Ducks are really good there. Um, and that was an area of strength last year. I believe that was my best or second best ranked unit in my my season grades a year ago. 
Um, so I'm kind of sticking there. That group is pretty similar. A lot of the guys are back that were that were key parts of that. Um, defense, I went with defensive line. I don't think that will surprise people who listen to kind of my shtick on this before. Um, in part because I was just kind of going through the secondary and I, I feel better. So when we do our depth chart projections, I do offense. Jared does defense. I don't even know what you're going to do in the secondary, Jared. There's so many players moving around to so many different spots and so yeah. much cross-training. I don't end. I was that randomly thinking about it yesterday, just because, because I yeah no, I mean everybody will see eventually on DuckTerritory.com, but uh, it's gonna be a little difficult. There's like little hints and nuggets every once in a while from a coach or a player, but really, honestly, nothing set in stone. So we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went with defensive line because I think that was more predictable. Um, I have a hard time just elevating linebacker to the best unit when I think it was clearly the worst unit worst. last year. And while I'm really encouraged by some of the changes, like we haven't seen any of it, I think defensive line is probably the easier choice. So I'm going with that group. Um, I think having Popo back, adding Jordan Birch, bringing back all of these guys that were, again, I know people are, are critical of, of how the season ended, of lack of pressure on the quarterback. But overall, this is probably your best unit last year defensively. And I think it will be um, again this year. I had uh, I had the same answers. I think it's running back a defensive line. Um, just because, you know, for the reasons that you said for the offense, like quarterback, obviously Bo Nix is a, probably like the best player on the team. Uh, at least like if you were to do like a Madden overall rating of everybody, he would be number one. Um, but it's a quarterback room. Uh, and I think that's what this question is asking, which position group is the strongest. So uh, I'm going running back. I thought about wide receiver. Uh, there's still just some kind of question marks. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Like I, I expect Tez Johnson to be good, but I haven't seen it. Um, I don't like I, I really don't have anything in my body that tells me Tez Johnson won't be good and a very contributing member to this Oregon offense. But I just haven't seen it. Um, same with Treshawn Holden. Um, offensive line, I think, is really talented. I think it's going to be uh, definitely not as good as last year. But it, again, it's very difficult to be as good as they were last season. So I think that they'll be good, but I don't think that they're the best on offense. But running back is legitimately three deep. I think Jordan James, if he were to get a lot of carries one one game, I think everybody in Otson or everybody who was watching the game would be okay with it. But when you have Bucky and Noah, I think that's, like Eric said, one of the best running back duos in the country, probably the best out West. Um, I don't really think that there's a disagreement there. So running backs and then D-line, uh, for all the reasons that Eric mentioned, uh, they added depth, uh, added talent. Brought back a lot of depth and talent as well. Uh, all the freshman newcomers, if there is an injury or anything like that, um, you got guys lined up who are you know national top 100 kids, national four-star recruits, um, guys who were recruited by a lot of schools across the country who decided to come to Oregon. Um, and I think that they'll be just fine. I thought about corners or safeties, but similar to wide receivers, I don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Like. I think Kyrie Jackson's going to be good and physical and one of the better cornerbacks Oregon has had in a little bit, but I don't know. I haven't seen him do anything other than stumble bun drills or sideline tackling or stretching for 15 minutes because that's all we get to see at practice. <laughs> um, and then for safeties, who I knows? <laughs> I, I, I just don't know. Uh, there's three spots, nickel or nickel star and then free and boundary. There's probably seven or eight guys that, could be starting, could be third string. I don't know. So it's going to be the defensive line. I think that's the most clear-cut answer on defense. You guys have hammered out. I think we all have the same answers. Um, okay. mm -hmm. But 
I would argue receiver has a chance to surpass running back. I, I, I and to Jared's point of what he said though, like we just haven't seen Treshawn Holden perform. We haven't seen Tez Johnson perform in these scrimmages. But yeah. I think a group of Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, we know what those those two guys can do. Troy Franklin is one of the best receivers in the Pac-12. That automatically elevates your position group up. I think Chris Hudson is a really solid number two, could be a really elite number three guy if Tez Johnson or if Treshawn Holden kind of assumes that number two spot. Um, and then Jerion Dickey, I feel like, is kind of the wild card here. Um, does he push himself into the mix where he has to play every single game? He's got to be in that rotation. Um, I, I think – we know a lot of what we of what Bucky and Noah can do. I agree. If Jordan James got a game's worth of carries, his numbers would be pretty good. Um, but I I think Oregon's got an opportunity where we could see a pretty special year at receiver because uh, they've got a good quarterback. They've got a run game that you have to really respect and fear. You have to be, go out to stop it, which opens up the passing game. And if Bo Nix has time to, you know go through his progressions and make his checks and, and reads. I think this receiver room could be really pretty darn special. Um, defensive line. I'm in agreement. And it, I feel weird saying it though. Cause like they weren't really good last year getting to the, to the quarterback. They were really good at stopping the run. Um, but that's only half the game. So I feel way more confident about the offense than I do the defense. If that makes any kind mm-hmm. of sense. It does, and it segues right into the next part of the question, which I think is a consensus that we expect the offense to be better than the defense. Is that fair? Do we need to spend extra time going through that at all? No, I agree. No, I don't. I mean, I think both units will be good, but the offense is just going to be way better. And we should note we're coming off of a scrimmage on Saturday where Dan uh, did say the defense had the upper hand, had some really nice things to say about the way they performed in that. Seems kind of disappointed, frankly, of the offense. Well, I guess he didn't give a lot of information. Um, but he was he was certainly <laughs> higher on the defense than the offense based upon the limited remarks he was willing to give and the limited details. They tackled better, Jared. You asked that question. That was I guess we have to hit it, sure head, 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 head on. What do we want to know specifically? They did tackle better, which was good. Um, but yeah, we are coming off a scrimmage where there was some improvement there, so that's a, a positive in that direction. Um, I think that the gap between the offense and the defense probably closes a little bit, and that's not because I think the offense takes a big step back, but I'm being optimistic that the defense does get a step better. It it really should from a, just a personnel perspective, second year in the system. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Who knows? We might come out of that game in Lubbock saying, uh, this looks a lot like what we saw last year, and that's not a good thing. All right, next one from at U of O for life, 84457. I think this person's asked the question before because I think I've incorrectly tried to decipher those numbers. I won't do it again. Um, his question, aside from Mateo and probably Cole, what other defensive high school recruits, if any, will have an impact on D this year? Hashtag Audibles. Um, those would be the two I would start with um, based upon what we've seen and kind of the, the vibes around camp. I think Mateo, um, I don't he's always I don't think he's starting, but I do think that's a name you're going to be hearing early and often this fall, just kind of based upon how the depth chart plays out. Some of the positive comments we've heard to Jordan Birch the other day saying that he thought Mateo's bag um, was was kind of the deepest among the young guys and a couple moves he really likes. So there's certainly some buzz there. We've talked about Cole, I think, quite a bit. Um, 
the, the name I want to throw out, I'm not sure uh, entirely kind of what the availability is, but Tatum Tuioti is another name that's gotten quite a bit of buzz, listed at 6'3", 245. That kind of answered the question we had before about his size. But he hasn't been available, at least the two last practices that we watched. So um, not sure exactly if that's long-term, short-term. But some of the some of the comments earlier in camp were positive. Plays kind of a similar role uh, in terms of that outside linebacker edge spot. So um, certainly opportunity there. And then I guess maybe there's a true freshman corner that could potentially do something. But there's so many corners, it seems like it's hard to believe that actually happens despite um, – Demetrius Barton, the corners coach, being kind of, I think he said that they'd push the veterans a little bit, which was encouraging to hear. But I don't know if we're going to see a lot of either Roderick Pleasant or Dalen Austin or any of those guys. Yeah, I think uh, from the cornerback perspective, I'd be surprised. Um, there would have to be, uh, honestly, like kind of a plethora of injuries because you do have guys cross training between star, nickel, and cornerback. So the assumption would be, if a cornerback were to be injured, they would probably move one of the guys back from star to corner, and then they don't have to play the true freshman. Maybe you could get a redshirt season out of them. Um, but those are guys, yeah, Dalen Austin, Roderick Pleasant, Solomon Davis, uh, Colin Gill, all the true freshmen over there, cornerback. Um, I don't really see too many defensive line freshmen coming out just because of how deep Oregon's defensive line is. It's really two to three deep at every position. Um but, yeah, I mean, Tatum Tuioti, we'll see where he is physically uh, eventually. He hasn't been a practice the last week or so or how long we've been there. Um, Blake Purchase, I guess, would be the next guy up in terms of that standing edge rusher, um, primarily on passing downs more than anything else. So maybe he'll get some run, especially against Portland State, depending on the score. But um, I don't think there's going to be kind of like it was last year. I don't think there's going to be a lot of true freshmen who make an immediate impact on either sides of the ball. Um, and if they do, that means that there's going to be a lot of a lot of injuries and uh, that's going to be more worrisome. So I could be last year. I think there'll be two, maybe three guys who make a big time impact. And Mateo and Cole are going to do it on the defensive side. Who it is on offense. I don't know. Maybe Jurion. Maybe to the Matt's point. Like he could be the wild card there. Um, but yeah, we'll see Blake purchase run of the cornerbacks. That's probably about it in my perspective. You don't want freshmen stepping up and having yeah. huge roles. Agreed. Cause like, it's nice if one or two maybe has some kind of role or, um, maybe they push their way into the lineup because they're just so good, but you don't want multiple freshmen having to play a lot because then that means your current roster before them wasn't very good. And it, you want like a generational type talent to, to show up and be the reason why he gets on the field, like a Panay Sewell, where mm -hmm. it was very evident day one, hey, this guy is different than every other freshman offensive lineman that's come through the program in a very long time. Um, like Herbert and Troy Dye starting as freshmen, like they were good, but – that's not the best case scenario of why you wanted them to play their team. The teams were bad. And yeah. um, so if you're Oregon, like if like to Jared's point, I agree. Like, I don't think there's going to be freshmen unless there's a rash of injuries or some kind of suspension or something happens that makes upperclassmen unavailable. Um, I think freshmen will play. I think we'll get a handful of guys on both sides of the ball that see action but because of the rules of being able to play four games and then red shirt still like 
that's going to fa- have to factor into your, you know, oh, this guy's playing as a true freshman. Yeah, but he also gets four games for free. You have to do it. Um, and how do they deploy those? I, I, I don't know. Um, but I think Mateo and Cole are probably the two most likely. Um, I would have said Tatum Tuioti was the third, but Jared's point, we haven't seen him at practice in a while. So what's the status there? Um, outside of that, the D-line is loaded with upperclassmen. Maybe a Terrence Green gets in the mix. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, or or Johnny Bowens. I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe a Blake Purchase off the edge. But that's another group where there's a lot of guys that they they have available to them. And then is it more valuable to save those guys than it is to play them a very limited amount of snaps? Um, I do think corner D, DB is maybe the spot we do see someone beyond Mateo and Cole step up because there's just so much uncertainty at that position. We, and, and that's uncertainty because we just haven't been able to see practice. Yeah. Um, maybe someone shows up in, in the scrimmages the last two weeks and as a true freshman and is absolutely killing it. And it's like, Hey, this guy's got to get on the field in some capacity. He's, he's really good. Maybe when we go dime, he's that fourth cornerback that goes on the field or, uh, maybe he he has to be on special teams because we need to travel him in case a guy goes down with an injury. You know, and we're away from home. Uh, he'd be the next guy up. Um, that's where I would I would look first if there's going to be a third freshman beyond Mateo and Cole. I would look at at corner and then defensive backs in general. Just the last thing I'll say. Um... Dan hasn't really, and I've said this before, Dan hasn't really shown a track record. I know it's just one year of, of playing a ton of true freshmen. Like, even go back and look at last year, um, I think it was five players who avoided redshirt years in that class, and there were some really, really good players who who did redshirt. Um, think about Devin Jackson, who we're all fired up about this year. Well, he didn't play a lot last year. Um, there are guys like uh, Jill Tucker, who's transferred since, but I think he was like the second or third highest rated recruit in that class. Um so there, there's some talented guys that we were excited to see that we thought there may be an opportunity for who who didn't get any playing time or enough playing time to burn those years. So I would just be mindful of that. I wouldn't set the expectation going into this year and, and really in future years for six or eight true freshman players to be playing huge roles. And as Dan's point has been, if, if they're you know if they're good enough, they're old enough. It doesn't seem like there's been enough guys that have been good enough the last couple of years. So I'm just a little bit skeptical we get there this year. Even though, like, I love Devin Jackson as a player. I thought he was going to have a role. I think if we would have rewound and did this exercise a year ago, we might have. I probably would have said, oh, yeah, he's a guy I expect to play. And, and yet he he didn't. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what this year holds. But I think we're all kind of feeling like two guys, maybe three, could get to four if, to Jared's point if there are some injuries or something that takes place. But I don't think it's going to be a huge number. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll go through the second half of this mailbag. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, two questions in. We've got a couple more to go. This one's from a frequent question asker at Nash underscore Duck and Which player or coach has been your favorite to interview during fall camp? Hashtag Austin Audible's. Might be a recency bias, but I really like talking to Junior Angilau. Uh, what was that, yeah. Friday? I thought that was mm-hmm. a fun one. He had a, quite a bit of personality, opened up about some things. I hope he did get to see Barbie on uh, on, on Friday night. He was, he was hoping that would be the team team movie choice there. Um, so that was one. Again, that's recency bias. I just really enjoyed chatting with him. He was also a blast to talk to at uh, Media Day. Um, gosh, earlier this month, August 1st, that feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, so that that would probably be where my head goes first. And then two others that I don't know. I, this is going to be fun because typically we have a lot of consensus picks. I bet we're going to probably have a lot of different answers here because we've all talked to different people, probably enjoy different things that we've talked about this this fall. But the two other I wrote down, uh, Tez Johnson was awesome at Media Day. We haven't chatted with him since, but uh, he told a lot of fun stories, kind of broke down a lot of his relationship with Bo and kind of how much that means, talks about his background and what it's like to be a little guy playing this sport um, at a receiver little in terms of broad uh, weight and all that. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then, you know, I think this is probably, I know I'm going to be the only one to pick this, but I did enjoy talking to Luke Basso, the long snapper. No, I was going to be, I was going to pick him. Oh, you're going to pick him, Matt. Okay. Well, that was one I was fired up. He was, he was, he was excited. He knew this was probably going to be one of his very, very limited opportunities to do this. And he made the most of it. And I thought he made a good impression. He had some, some good answers and, and really got into some of the minutia of snapping. So as somebody who always kind of enjoys that part of it, uh, that was fun. So those are the three I picked. I'm, I'm guessing you guys will say a couple of names that I go, oh, yeah, that was really fun too, but that's where my brain went first. I'm trying to think. Uh, I enjoyed talking to Matthew Rigney, punter. Um, mm. Usually specialists are always like a good time to talk to. Same with Basso and, and Camden Lewis uh, and, and Ross James for the most part as well. Um, you know, I enjoy talking offensive linemen as well. Junior was fun. Um, Marcus Harper, we talked, or I talked to during uh, media day. That was a good time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's all it's hit or miss sometimes with players. Um, it's been fine for the most part. Uh, Jamal Hill is always a good interview. He's a funny kid. He just doesn't give you too much information. Um, we haven't talked to Trey Quez this fall, but I always love talking to him. Uh, I don't think I even talked to him during media day, so that's a shame. But um, he's always a good interview. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have uh, like a lot of them that just absolutely stick out in my head. 
I, I remember. Uh, I remember. Sorry, Jared. I remember you coming out of media day saying Connor Soley was really good. Connor Soley was really good. Yeah, we have not gotten to talk to him in fall camp. Uh, I enjoyed Luke Basso. That was a fun interview. Um, to Jer- to Eric's point of like, just he probably knew like this is the maybe only time we're going to talk to him all year, and he hasn't really spoken uh, since he's gotten to Oregon. Um, and so he was fired up for it. And just like you guys have said, special teams guys are always just better. Um, I, for some reason, I, I really en- en- enjoyed Nishad Strother. Um, I-, I don't know what it is, but yeah. I just feel like this is a guy that's like, I wasn't at a school that had all the fancy stuff and everyone kind of dreamed of it. And now I am, and this is awesome. And I'm relishing every moment of it. But, it, but then he also kind of gave that comment, I remember back, where he was like, why did you transfer here? You were a starter. Why would you give that up? And he was like, well, I, I came here to win that job. And, you know, everyone else says that same mentality. And if I if I don't lose or if I, if I lose the job, like, congrats to the guy that that wins it, you know, and I'll be I'm going to be a good teammate, you know, but I came here to win this job. And I, I just I don't know. I really like that comment. Um, I just like his he's you know, he's like having fun because. He's at a place that he probably dreamed he never thought he could get to, and now he's here. Um, Media Day interview, I really enjoyed Brandon Dorless because he opened up. He's always a good interview, um, but he he was a little bit different. And ironically, I don't think we've heard from him since uh, back to or since the Oregon Media Day. Um, we'll see if we get him this week, but we'll see. And then, yeah, I know he's boring, but. I like I like Bo. I just yeah. think I think yeah. Bo gives good answers. It's an easy answer for me to say, but I just like Bo. He, he straight shooter. Um, sometimes he's very same along lines of, of a coach speak, but like really good speaker. And I think I think if you watch his interviews and you go back and you watch the past great quarterbacks like a Herbert, like a Mariota, he's cut from the same cloth. I was trying to think of a coach. Again, maybe it's recency bias. We talked to a league. Terry. He was yeah. great. That was really fun. Um, Joe Lorig gives a lot of information. Like, really, mm-hmm. really went into like Jared asked a question. I think about charting punts, and like he spent two minutes like breaking it down into very fine detail. I enjoyed it was that. Nice of him. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, because there are certain coaches that will not take the time to do something like that. So I appreciated it. Um, but yeah, I couldn't. I don't know those were the two that popped to mind. I drew Maringer actually. I thought was pretty. I just remember coming away feeling like, oh, there's a lot of different angles in terms of things he talked about from that interview. So those are the ones that sort of popped to my mind first. But do you guys have any other coaches that stood out, or should we move on? I like uh, I like Will Stein. Like he's been a yeah. welcomed addition into the coaches interviewing circle. Um, I think, actually think all the coaches are, are are really nice to talk to. Chris Hampton too. Junior Adams I think is pretty good as well. Um, now we're just listing all the coaches from <laughs> Oregon, but um, I think all the coaches are fine. I think some kids are kind of, sometimes just kind of camera shy and not used to public speaking in front of, I don't know, seven to 10 people, which understandable. Um, it can certainly be nerve wracking, but I, I think all the coaches are really, really easy and really nice to talk to. I will say I didn't have um, as big of an issue as um some people have this year with with landing shortness um i i was miffed um 
on Saturday, like we all said, like why we're here. But I I also don't think like I know people are seeing talking about it on Twitter, like how few of things he revealed after the second scrimmage. But um, I think Eric and I and Jared were talking about this uh, like a day later or maybe that night of just I, I just don't think he likes talking without you know having all the information available to him. And so I'm really curious to see what we'll get on Wednesday when we speak uh, with Lanning. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think Dan is very similar to chip, but also more forgiving than chip. And that just takes some adjusting to get, you know, by us, by the fan base to, to get there. Um, and we do get nuggets here and there from, from him. The only thing I'd add is it'd be my preference if, if he needs a film review to give us good answers. Don't, don't let us talk to him. Give him let's give him a day or two to do that, mm-hmm. and then and then let's review it because um, not not that it was a poor use of our time, but we sat out there for a while, and I feel like we all kind of felt coming away kind of like, oh, we just really didn't come away with any details. I understand Dan probably is totally fine. I mean, I'm not. He's totally fine with that. Um, but if, if if it would be beneficial to give it a couple of days for him to kind of get more yeah. insight. Maybe we do that in future years. I don't know. I, we don't. We aren't so well making these decisions, so probably not. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next question from a new question asker. It was fun this on their show. I think four of the five or three of the five, at least, were, were people who had never um, chimed in before. So fun always seeing uh, new names. From at D Katowski forty four, does Oregon need to land more five star cr- recruits to be viable national champion contenders, even if their blue chip ratio stays high? What can they do to land more and earlier in the cycle to build momentum? Or is it a byproduct of what's available on the West Coast? Um, good nuanced question about recruiting. Figured this would be kind of a fun one um, to kind of break down. Uh, to the first part, do they need to land more five-star recruits to be national champion contenders? I think the answer is probably yeah. Um, I mean, I think Oregon saw firsthand last year playing Georgia what it looks like to go against a juggernaut. Um, and we have to acknowledge, I think Oregon was seventh or eighth last year in the team composite rankings for 24-7 sports. I don't have that pulled up in front of me. I probably should have. But Oregon was like on that next level of teams that were supposed to have the best roster. And we saw in the field last year, it wasn't particularly close. And so, I, you know, and I know there's a lot of other factors there. It was Dan's first game of his, of the, of his career as the first game of the season, playing really in the heart of Georgia in front of basically a home crowd for Georgia. So there's some of that, but that stuck with me of like that team. I know Georgia was also just a juggernaut last year and it wasn't particularly close for most of their games all season. We saw that even in the championship game, but that kind of stuck with me of like, there's a, there's another step to take. Like I think Oregon has an awesome roster. I think Oregon has a roster that can, can absolutely contend to win this conference that can absolutely contend to reach the college football playoff. Um, so maybe that's all you need to say to be viable contenders, but to actually win the thing, I'm still a little skeptical that they're quite there. Maybe you guys disagree. I'll be curious to hear. Um, yeah, I'll answer that. And then why don't we, and you guys can kind of chime in there and then maybe we can talk about things that they could do to improve. Do you guys agree that they need to land more five stars to, to really take that step? Or, or, or do you think that they're like, do you think they can do it this year or next? No, year? I mean, they absolutely, they absolutely do have to add more five stars. I mean, the Georgia thing, yeah. I mean, if you just go back in recent history of national championship winners, you know, it's all Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson, who at the times were all like the top three or four schools in the country in the blue chip ratios, who were led by 
you know, multiple five-star players across both sides of the field. Um, I think it's a pretty easy uh, equation. I think it's pretty simple math. It's like, hey, get the best players in the country out of high school and hope then, you know, player develop them. Player development turns them into the best players in college football. So I think that's a pretty simple equation. Um, and for the second half of the question, the problem lies in the West Coast and the lack of talent in the trenches that is on the West Coast. Um, you know, there's there is talent out here. Don't get me wrong. But is there as much talent as there is in Texas, as there is in Missouri, as there is in Florida, as there is in Bama and the Southeast? No, of course not. Why do you think Oregon went and got four or five Texas players last season and three or four of them were defensive linemen? It's because that's where the better players are in the trenches than they are out in the on the West Coast. Um, there's you know pop-up talent like Josh Connolly Jr. a couple cycles ago, uh, Aiden Breland this year, and Brandon Baker this year. Um, but that's, you know, four or five guys a year when you go to Texas and there's end of 15, it's just different. So, uh, in order to compete for national championships, I know like you can bring up the TCU that, that they went there last season and that they beat a blue chip ratio team in Michigan. Uh, I get that. Those are, those are fine arguments, but look what happened when they played Georgia. I just wasn't even close. Um, and I know Michigan had a bunch of coaching issues in their in their final game of the season. So uh, I just think that it's a, it's a very clear cut equation of get the best kids in the country out of high school and then turn them into the best players in the country in college football. I don't think it stops with just five stars. Um, I, I don't know the total number of top 100 recruits that Oregon has on its roster because there's a glitch going on on the site with the 2021 recruiting class not popping up. Um, but you look at every, you look at the, every other class around that one, Oregon has just eight total players on its roster that are ranked inside the top 100. Um, Alabama had 11 in just the 2023 recruiting class. Um, Georgia had 13 in just the 2023 recruiting class. Ohio State had seven uh, in the 2023 recruiting class. So to give you an idea of just the talent disparity, and that goes to what Jared was saying, like there's just not a lot of talent out West compared to the South, the Southeast, the mid, the Midwest, the Northeast, um, compared to, to where Oregon's located. So, yeah, like the simple answer is, yes, they need more five stars. The more in-depth answer is that they need to go out and they need to sign more top 100 players. They just need to recruit better. And that's not to say that they aren't recruiting at a high level um, because from an Oregon standpoint, you know, they're, they're continuing the trajectory that Mario Cristobal had where they're continuing to, to, to push for a top 10 recruiting class. They're number 12 right now in the country. But the problem is they have 22 commits and they have one guy ranked inside the top 100. And – you know, they've got two or three uh, Aaron Aaron Flowers, Dakota Fields, and, and Iffy um, that are all in the top 122. So, like, they've got three guys that are kind of peripheral 100 players, but they need more top 100 recruits, and they just simply need to recruit at a higher level to get to that next threshold. I think they're getting there. 
I think the talent is continuing to to rise, but at, if they want to make that quick jump in the next year or two, they need to make a huge jump in the top 100. And to the question of what can they do, I think it comes to what can they accomplish on the field to start. Yes, um, There needs to be a bit more proof of concept of Dan as the head coach of this program in terms of making a run, of winning a conference championship, of playing you know, for, for games that really matter in January. Um, you know, when Dan goes out there and recruit, and again, I want to make sure everybody understands, we think they're doing a very, very good job considering all the circumstances. But when he goes out to recruit, what's he selling them on? Well, he's selling them a lot of stuff that's Oregon-centric, but from his own coaching perspective, it's mostly what he did at Georgia, right? And so, like, there needs to be a little bit more at Oregon. And I'm not criticizing him because he's been here one year, but this is just the reality of being a coach trying to establish roots as a head coach. And now, as a head coach, establishing roots on a different part of the country. So I think that's part of it. Um, and then to the point that you guys just made, I think it's a really good one about the West Coast. The margin for error is really, really small to miss on top recruits out West if you're Oregon. Because the reality is, to your guys' point, there aren't as many elite, elite guys, especially in positions that really matter. So you have to get, you have to win those battles. You have to get Aiden Breland. You have to get the Brandon Bakers. Those are are musts, I think, to a certain degree, to try to establish what you're trying to establish. Um, because the reality is, guess what? They're going up against the big boys for both of these recruitments, right? I mean, we're talking about Aiden Breland. That's an Oregon-Georgia battle right now, according to Greg Biggins. Um, Brandon Baker, I think Ohio State, Nebraska. I'm trying to think there's a third one. Texas. There. there you go. Thank you. Those are the schools that are right in there right now for Oregon. These are big-time brands. So for Oregon to take that next step, they have to start winning these head-to-head -head battles against the big boys, even for their own West Coast recruits. And that's difficult because they have to prove that they can really, really win at the highest level. Oregon, as a, as a, as a brand, has shown that they can play for national championships. They haven't proven that they can win one yet. I don't know if that matters a ton necessarily on the recruiting trail, but Dan has to prove that he can do so. And then the other thing is that they have to be able to go win on the in, in the other parts of the country a little bit more. I think they've done a heck of a job, to, to Jared's point, of of landing a bunch of four-star recruits from Texas that are on the defensive line, um, you know, hitting hitting on some guys from Georgia, from Missouri, from other parts of the country. But they have to take a step up and probably win a couple more of these every cycle, right? They're kind of – it's been interesting to follow every cycle how many of these guys they get on campus from that part of the country. And it's just hard to hit those guys, right, because – you're competing with players, you're competing with schools that have probably a little bit more to sell and can also sell geography. So I, I, it's a difficult task here, but I think to me, and maybe you guys disagree, I think if they are to make a, in the next two years, a couple of deep runs, if that's the outcome, that would really change this and give them an opportunity. But I think it's gonna be hard to see them um, to really take a step recruiting because there is, to me, there's a gap between like, the four to five to six programs that recruit at a truly, truly elite level. And then Oregon's in that next group that's going to be in that seven to 12 range, but there's just not quite on that same level. To make a leap up to reach there, they're going to have to make some, some on-field uh, accomplishments happen in the next couple of cycles, I think. And even still, I don't even think the on-field accomplishments can bring them up to that level, like to bring them to the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the former Clemsons, like – I, I just think it's going to be uh, such a difficult trend. I do think that moving to the Big Ten will help them eventually um, just because they'll be able to showcase like the geography equation that, hey, you know, like I know Oregon is 2,400 miles away from Ohio, but 
we will be playing at Ohio State or we will be playing at Michigan or Indiana or, t- or schools that are close in proximity to your hometown. So come on d- down to Eugene, Oregon. Uh, I think that'll help eventually. But uh, it's I mean, the recruiting landscape, it's like three it's three teams and then it's the rest. It's very difficult. And it's not like Oregon is uh, not recruiting well, like we've talked about on this podcast mm-hmm. ad nauseum. Like they're doing quite well for themselves. Um, it's just going to be. Uh, it's still extremely difficult with proximity. I think you Oregon gets into these uh, recruiting battles every single season where it's like, all right, this is a really good prospect that they landed from uh, insert Southeast state here. Uh, will they be able to sign him on signing day? Because it's 2,500 miles away compared to going to insert state school from that state there that's 50 miles away so that the parents can always come to see their family, their girlfriend, their uh, their friends around town. Um, I think that's always going to be a deciding factor. And I think, you know, the biggest part of it all is that these kids are always like 16 to 18 years old. Um, Changes happen. Uh, It's just kind of how it goes. I don't think that Oregon is doing poorly. I think that they're going to do quite well. I just don't know. Uh, They, I mean, the reason why Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama are up there is because they've won multiple national championships in the last decade and a half. Uh, that's a tall task. So we'll see if they get up there. I just think it's going to be a rather steep uphill battle to do so. Barring any flips um, or unexpected runs where this guy's not even considering Oregon on August 21st, Oregon has a legitimate chance at adding four top 100 players in the 2024 recruiting class. They've already got um, one committed and then there's, um, Breland and Baker and then Platt. I, I think you're very safe to say that Oregon probably is the leader for two of the three and is like thickly in the mix for the one more of those guys. Is Baker um, the Baker being the one that they're yes. in the mix for? Okay. Yes. Um but I don't I don't think any of them are like you can automatically guarantee and say that they're gonna be ducks today. Like mm-hmm. things could could shift again. Um but They've got, an opp- they've got a good opportunity to get four guys, okay? And then you look at the 2025 class, and they have a commit in the top uh, 100. They have a couple, actually. Dallas Wilson is the highest one at 24, in, 24th in the country. This is a long ways away. These rankings are, cha- are going to change a lot. Yeah. But just from a snapshot of where things are today, the West Coast doesn't have a single recruit mm-hmm. ranked in the top 20, and the highest-rated recruit out West right now is 30th in the country. And that's Teandre Waverly, an athlete from Washington. Oregon has offered. They are recruiting him. He's been on campus. They're trying. The next highest rated guy out West is Darius Dixon, a cornerback from California. Or this year, Wyatt, excuse me, an edge guy from um, from uh, from California, 40th. And then, then there's um, the cornerback the that I was talking about. Um, but – there's just to Jared's point, like there's not a lot of talent out west, and and you know, yeah. I was I was just gonna say two of those positions are skill positions, cornerback yeah. and uh, an athlete. So probably a wide receiver, maybe a cornerback. Um, yeah, one trench monster. Yeah, yeah. It's just really hard for any program, mm-hmm. not just Oregon, out west to go out and and build a roster to compete for a national championship. And if you want to do it, to Jared's point, like 
you got to find some trench monsters. And what Eric brought up, you got to go back east. We got to go into the south, and you've got to win. And that's why I think Oregon is all in on Dan. And it, but if Oregon is going to make that next jump from a team that's regularly competing for their conference championship and fighting every year to consistently be in the top ten at the end of the season, like that's that's where they're kind of at right now. Mm-hmm. If they want to make that next jump, where it's Every year we go in thinking we've got a legitimate chance at making the college football playoff. And at that point, it's anyone's game because we're equal with the other two or three teams that are consistently competing in it. They've got to win big, and it's got to be early so that you know the, the, the excitement of Dan from his days at Georgia is still there. His excitement of being at Oregon at, and at working at Oregon is now there. He's got to win big, and you've – that's why this season, if they could go 11 and one in the regular season, I think could push Oregon, not to where they're going to get equal with Alabama and Georgia and Ohio state and whatnot, but they can now start winning some of these battles where we're talking about like a Justin Williams from Texas. Like he picked, he was in love with Oregon, but ultimately went to Georgia. Like, you need to start winning a couple of those battles. It doesn't have to be all the time, but to make that next jump, you need to start winning a couple of those battles. And then just the last thing I'd throw in here, because I know this probably feels like a bit of a, a doom and gloom segment. I just think it's also a bit of a reality check too. The portal, the portal is kind of big the, changer. the big changer here, which could be a mechanism that could push a team like a TCU. I know TCU's roster wasn't entirely built on the portal, but there were some key guys there. That could be a thing that pushes Oregon over the top in, in a yes. year here or there of, hey, maybe we aren't quite, maybe we're only 80% of what these guys are from a prep recruiting perspective, but we knocked it out of the park. We found a way to get the top guy at this position, that position, filled all the gaps, and now our roster is probably not as deep as still as those programs, but man, maybe the starting lineup, we're able to kind of be squarely in the mix with a, a, some of these big boy programs. I think that's the other part to kind of recognize is the portal can kind of help you correct some of this. I think that's also obviously why we saw Oregon be so aggressive this year in turning over the roster. Anything else on this one? I, I 100% agree with the portal. Like that that will be a great equalizer for a school like Oregon where if they can continue to recruit like right like they are right now and then go out and find – you know, portal guys to add because we talked about trench monsters. What do they do from, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six guys. They added seven um, that are all kind of front seven type ish players, whether it's an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman edge linebacker type guy. Um, You know, that's where Oregon will make, I think a big jump, fill the gaps with, you know, your talent issues at that area via portal while recruiting at a high level everywhere else. And now you're in the discussion again. So that's a good point, Eric. I'm happy you brought that up. All right. Last one is a question, but more of a request as Jay McCallum four says, I would love to see a version 2.0 of last year's stocks statistics game from Jared. I enjoyed buying stock in August and then checking in at the end of the year to see where things end up. Keep up the great work. Hashtag odds and audibles. Jared, to you, are we doing mm-hmm. it? Yeah, we're going to have another stock game. Um, and if you missed it last year, basically we had $500 of Monopoly money to buy stock in an Oregon player. And I devised a formula to create a stock price. Um, 
And we had a little podcast segment where we individually bought shares of each player. Um, and then we, I think we had two checkups during the season, like then one at the end of the season who took away the most money. Um, and that was, yeah, no, that was the basis of the game. It was basically a complete ripoff of the quarterback stock report game on uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast. So if you listen to him, you'll know this fundamental concept. But uh, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. Um, if anybody has any suggestions on uh, if they remember what last year's stuff, like, you know, feel free to to, to tweet at me, to DM me on on, tw- on Twitter or X or whatever the hell you want to call it, um, <laughs> at Jared underscore Max 7. So, uh, yeah, no, any requests, feel free. Um, my formula is pretty primal. It's pretty, like, bare bones, basic nothingness, but it does the job. So, yeah, I think we're going to bring it back. We'll probably have some podcast segment about it next week. Um, probably not too long, but uh, we'll, should we keep the $500 of Monopoly money in the same total? I like it. Yeah, I like it. Okay. All right. So $500 of Monopoly money to everybody. Uh, and then I'll have, I'll have a spreadsheet up. I could, I guess, post it on our message board if people are so inclined. But if not, I'll send it to you guys. I, I think maybe we uh, we open this up to those in the YouTube comments if they want to do the the process. Uh, Jared, maybe you can link the the, the kind of the, the the chart that has all of the values and stock prices and people if they want to build their own five hundred dollar teams. Maybe we can make it a bit of an open competition and include some others other than than ourselves. Is that something we think we can do? I mean, that just means significantly more work for me. Then let's so, not do that. We'll see. Yeah, right. Now it's it's uh, it's uh, three people is pretty good right now. I don't I don't need uh Oh, I wasn't saying you, had to keep, you didn't have to keep track of it. I just meant people could pick. Their oh, teams they they get to keep they, track. They, of they, it. they can track their own scores, and if they want to chime in at the end with how they did, just to make it a little bit more interactive. Hmm. Works. <laughs> if Jared if Jared, Jared doesn't seem in, anywhere near as enthusiastic as I am, so we will uh, maybe shelf that one. But either way, the three of us will do teams. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll we'll do teams. Yes. All right, that's gonna do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast. Until the next one, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. <laughs>